For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Let's start off with a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to the show. Okay, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Coming to you a little later this week. We wanted to watch some of the uh, intense slate of games that that had coming. You know, uh, the Wizards had coming to them before we we uh, recorded this week. So, got plenty to talk about. And I think the recurring theme here over the last week is just, you know, th- this this team is is obviously doing a lot better than it than it was for the, the last couple of months. But three losses within you know three points over the last last week's worth of games, Larry, and, and that's I think concerned some fans and, and the late game execution is something that hopefully the team can crispen up a little bit before you know play in games or potentially even a playoff series you know you had a one-point loss to Dallas a one-point loss to Milwaukee and uh, only a two-point win over Toronto which realistically should have been an easier win or, and, and very easily could have been a loss what have you seen overall that that's sort of um, you know they can't seem to get over the hump well, I think in general, games are, are hard to win. I mean, you know, games are hard to close out. And it's, it takes, uh, you know, mental lapses is what I see. It's, you know, maybe it's being a little bit too aggressive. Uh, maybe it's uh, trying to take it up on their, you know, an individual shoulders to make the play. So I think really, you know, just staying consistent through the first three quarters you know, and into the fourth quarter, obviously you have to be consistent. And then in the fourth quarter, you have to make a play. And I think that they, the guys are trying to make a play, but I think that it's it's a you have to make sure that it's um how do I put this without you know you want everybody to be aggressive, but you obviously want to make the the, the best play possible. Sure. So I think in late games you get into a situation where um, you know they're having mental lapses and they're not uh, being consistent with their play. I'm I'm gonna throw this out. I think there might have been a couple uh, mental lapses from the coaching staff here as well. We've talked multiple times this season about. You know, when you're up three late in a game, you know, final 10, 15 seconds, should you foul? Scott Brooks said early in the year, you know, he would like to foul, but one time he told him to foul and they just didn't. Another time he told him not to because they hadn't been able to practice it. And then we saw it in the Toronto game, you know, up three again with about 10 seconds and they, you don't foul. And according to Brooks, I think he said he was asking them to foul and they weren't able to safely do it. And you know, Fred Van Fleet hits a hits a three to send him to overtime, and and that honestly, it, it could have cost them because you know Westbrook sh- you know fouled out shortly after, and that that could have been a game that that got away from you against the Toronto team. That I'm not sure how much they they you know as an organization they want to win games right now. So, yeah. as the coaching staff, Larry, like how much of this is on them? I mean, and, and I'll, so I'll give you one more example too. They had an opportunity to call a timeout late to get Bertans off the court for a defensive possession. Didn't call a timeout. Didn't call a timeout to advance the ball with two timeouts left late in the game. Like at some point, he's got to take some responsibility for some of these situations. I think. Um, uh, how do you how do you feel about that one? And I, I think staff included. You know, the the head coach has a, a lot of you know has responsibilities, right? And it's to oversee everything that's going on and be the ultimate decision maker uh, when there's options that are presented to him. And I think that you have to have a staff that's aware and engaged and locked in where those points are, are understood. 
And as far as the fouling, you know, up three, I think either you're going to do it or you're, you're not going to do it. It's not, I mean, you keep saying, you know, it wasn't, you know, we weren't safely able to do it sure. or the guys didn't listen. Well, if it's in your philosophy, if it's in your DNA that that's what you're going to do, then the players are going to be locked in as to that's what we're going to do. These are professional guys and they're able to, you know, pretty much follow the instruction of, of their, you know, their leader. And if he wants them to foul when they're up three, whatever the time is on the clock, whatever threshold he's comfortable with, I think he, all he needs to do is relay that message to those guys, and that can be done. But I think that he has some uncertainty as to if that's the right play or not, so he kind of lets it play out to see what happens. And then we talk about it after the fact as if, you know, they didn't hear me, it was the crowd was too loud, or it's really as simple as showing these guys film on when the best time is to take a foul. Because now even referees are, guys are in shooting motions and they're still taking the basketball out on the sideline. So mm -hmm. it's it's really, that part of the game is really geared towards the defense because they're not giving those, those shooting fouls for those sort of delayed reaction fouls or those fouls that are kind of borderline in the shooting motion. So I think it's a philosophy that if, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. If you're not, just say that you're not going to do it, you're not comfortable with it, and, you know, everybody can move forward. I totally buy the excuse of, hey, we weren't prepared to do it or they messed it up or whatever, like the first time. Um, but but to your point, uh, you know, we're, we're in May. Like it, it shouldn't still be an excuse. And at the end of the Dallas game, uh, Rui Hachimura doubled – on Luka Doncic and and left a wide open corner three point shooter uh, in in Dorian Finney Smith who had had like the best game of his career and uh, the coaching staff came out after and said you know that was a mistake that they did not want uh, Rui to do that he was overly aggressive and Scott Brooks attributed his quote defensive mistake at the end of the game to their lack of practice time and Rui's lack of experience in those situations. At what point, Larry, is not having practice time not a valid excuse anymore? Like, you have just as much time as every other team in the league. It's it's literally May. I just think fans especially, like, don't want to hear that anymore. And do you really need to tell Rui Hachimura, like, hey, that's not smart to leave that guy wide open? If you're up three, you'd rather Luca shoot a two and, and deal with that? I don't think you need to. I think that, you know, one of the main reasons for drafting a guy that high is his basketball IQ and his ability to understand high-level basketball. Mm -hmm. And we all know how important the three-pointer is to the game. And then we all know how important the corner three-pointer is to the game. So I don't think you need to make excuses for the guys. I think just hold them accountable, um, show them the clip, show them the film, and and you move forward. But you don't you, – you start to, to – create more questions when you make comments that, you know, are not necessarily relevant to the situation. I mean, guys make mistakes all the time. Guys want to help their teammates out all the time. And it's a, a fact that, you know, he had a mental lapse of whatever the game plan was or whatever the scheme was, that that wasn't his role. There wasn't going to be anybody that's going to rotate to his guy. So I think that you don't need to sugarcoat anything. I think that it's a, mistake that a player made uh, because he was overly aggressive trying to create a situation and it wasn't the best situation for our team. Um, and that's how, you know, that's how I would address. And I think fans would appreciate it more if you just hold a guy accountable and you move forward. We all have made a mistake for trying to be uh, to do a little bit too much. And I think that that's just what it was, but you create more questions when you uh, try to make excuses that are not excuses. I think that that's, has always been a problem. One way or the other, hey, either Rui blew that or I told him the wrong thing. Like, you know what I mean? Or or, or whatever. But the, well, it's his fault, but here's the excuses. Like, and, and I think I misspoke and said while they were up three. They're actually up two. So you could have lived with Luca tying the game, but you can't give up the three at that point. But I don't know. I, I think uh, at a certain point, like, you got to be transparent with fans. Like, there's a lot of high IQ people that watch basketball at this point. Like, it's people understand the sport. You, you can't like you said, sugarcoat things and expect everyone's going to be like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. And and so last night's game, me and a couple of, of, of folks that I was texting back and forth with during the game were like, why is Bertans in the game defending Pascal Siakam when he has 40-some points? They got, no, like they got him no shots other than the one to end regulation that was a heave. 
Uh, like if you're not going to use him offensively and he is a total liability on defense, one, why have him out there? And two, if you're going to have him out there, you can't find somebody to put him on other than the other team's best offensive player. I just, I don't really understand the the strategy there. Yeah. And, and I think that's a strategy that we, no one's going to understand when you put a, <laughs> a guy that's a little bit challenged on the defensive end. Um, you know, it's just, that that is what it is. And you, you match him up against a player that is going to attack a mat, a matchup that he knows he has the advantage in. And like you said, those guys are playing free-flowing basketball. If they win the game, they win the game. If they lose the game, they lose the game. But they're going to be ultra-aggressive, and you know that. And you need this game way more than them. So, you know, I think that that's a, a coaching strategy of, of, of matchups and trying to figure out what's going to be your best uh, tool to use against, you know, whether it's a, a great offensive player or a great defensive player, just figuring out which strategy you're going to use to keep guys on the floor. And if it's Bertans, you got to get him shots. I mean, he's a liability um, if you don't get him shots, but he's going to produce for you and give you a chance to move the ball and space the floor if you attempt to get him shots. So I don't really understand having having him out there and not running uh, at least the initial action for for him, and then you play off the weak side action with Brad and Russ uh, just to get things moving and get him that first initial look because guys are going to get him close out to him and that's how he can be effective so having him as a stopper on the defensive end is not uh, is, is not the recipe for success even if you're gonna get like use him as a decoy at some point you have to get him some meaningful shots in those situations for, for teams to actually think you're willing to do it otherwise that there's there's no decoy there uh so yeah I was I was screaming at my tv that whole time and just sort of along the lines of of late game mistakes and, and things like that Mike Prada, who was it was on the show uh, a couple months ago or uh, last year, I guess, uh, from from Bolts Forever at the time and SB Nation at the time, tweeted this out and said, Russ had 13 points, 17 rebounds, 17 assists while shooting five of 19 from the field, committed seven turnovers and fouled out because he tackled an opponent while his team was up four with 15 seconds left in an angry response to a botched call on him. The ultimate Russell Westbrook game. Uh, I think it's... It's a little snarky, but it's also true to some extent. I mean, not super efficient. He puts up a lot of counting stats. The turnovers were tough, especially uh, sort of the mental snafu. You know, might as well be a turnover. Uh, what did you see from from Russ late in that game, Larry? Like, I was, I just kept being like, "What is this guy doing?" Um, and and he was huge, like earlier in the game to keep him keep him around. But you got to expect your veteran, former MVP, to be. Uh, I don't know, a little more mentally aware of the situation, I guess. Well, I think he plays with, with great emotion. And, uh, you know, he's going to do – for me, Russ is going to do more things good than he's going to do bad. And I'm going to live with the mistakes that Russ has, you know, even as a fan of the Wizards and, and wanting the Wizards to make the playoffs and obviously be as smart as they can be, you know, down the stretch. But that's a guy that I'm not necessarily – you know, the stats are what the stats are. But for me, it's his presence on the court and what he demands from his teammates. I think that that, that gets overlooked because of, you know, just, I, I guess, just his full ball of energy. But I like to poll his teammates and, you know, just in a, in a funny way, just to figure out if his intensity level is good for the group or could be a negative for the group. So is there anyone that sees him going out and trying to be as aggressive and, and, you know, with the intensity that he plays with, is that a problem for the group? Because if it's not a problem for the group, man, I have no problem with things and, and how Russ goes out about his business. Obviously, I would want him to play, you know, a little bit more perfect game in a sense where he's shooting the ball better and not giving the ball over to the other team. But I think he just does so much for the team that allows him a little leeway to have certain games where he makes a ton of mistakes because he can't slow himself down. It's like an avalanche with Russ sometimes. Yeah, like it, sometimes the ice breaks and and it takes, you know, a game or two to, to kind of get him, you know, back in the right space, but he's doing it for all the right reasons. So I, I, can't, I can't jab him on, on, on that one, but I definitely understand, you know, you can't give the ball to the other team. You got to make some shots, especially in this situation where you're trying to make the playoffs. Uh, I've kind of been of the approach all season that, or of the stance all season that, you can live with the bad shooting. 
You can live with sort of the apathetic defense. You can live with the turnovers. It's hard to live with all three in the same game. And last night, he actually made a concerted effort, I think, to to be a little tougher defensively down the stretch. And he took a late charge that actually kept them uh, kept them in things. So I've got to give credit where it's due. If, I, if I'm going to criticize your defense uh, last night, I, I think he, he tried, especially late, to to make an impact there. Larry, one other thing that's sort of been frustrating, I guess, from the fan perspective, and again, this is another player who does way more good than bad, but I, I wish this was one thing we could sort of dial back about Brad. Almost every game, there's some post-game comments about how bad the officiating was. He's sick of, quote, the same shit from referees. Every single game, they come back to me and they say the same thing. Oh, Brad, I missed two fouls. I missed that. You were right. And we all get texts revoicing what's actually happening in the game. I don't know what I got to do. If it happens every game and nothing's changed and complaining about it hasn't done any good and referees are still going to be referees, like, what you got to do is is move on and find a way to get over it. Like there are so many possessions where he's palms up under the basket waiting for a foul call that's never going to come. You know, all the other teams five on four. I, I just and what like how do you convince your star player like, hey man, this is not this is counterproductive for us as a team. Like you just got to power through it. Yeah, man, that that that's a tough one because I I just think that he's you're in a position where everyone has to give their their maximum effort. Mm-hmm. And then there's a fine line between maximum effort and chasing the opportunity. Sure. Because w- what I see that's happening is, is, is just Brad's just chasing. I mean, he's trying to come off every cut to get the ball. I mean, he's trying to – everything he gets, he's trying to drive it to – so there's going to be contact. I mean, it, you know, the, the game is full of contacts. And and now, obviously, referees, and you know, they're humans. They're watching, you know, the different comments. So they're going to – not give you the things that you're asking for them to give you just because, you know, that's just the nature of, of being a human is to show the other person that, you know, you have a little bit more control. And I think just, just the point of, you know, the comments and things that, that, you know, after the games or whatnot, I think you just have to just play. You know, I, I think that you can't be concerned with what the refs are doing because of let me take that back. You can be concerned with what the refs are doing, but you have to find a way to to verbalize that, you know, where it's productive for your team and they understand, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. And just with the opportunity that you're going to get the ball and touch the ball on each and every possession, I mean, there's going to be contact. So it kind of is what it is. I mean, you're shooting a bunch of free throws, scoring a bunch of points. It's just a matter of just, you know, not being concerned with the outside space and just going in and, and just going to hoop you know, and, and do do what you came there to do. You know, there are certain nights where I feel like maybe Brad doesn't get a friendly whistle or whatever, but I think over the whole, he's not being officiated drastically different than any other high usage NBA player. Like if you have the ball that much, and like you said, create that much contact, they're going to let some things go or, or they're going to miss some things. Like it just, at some point you got to power through. Yeah, my thing is we're not giving giving back the calls that we know we weren't fouled on. Right, exactly. Let's let's not complain about the stuff that we 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 felt like we got a little bit of contact on or we created the contact. We because we know there's plenty of times in the game where there's there's no contact or I generated all the contact to get the foul and we're playing within the rules but sometimes the rules don't satisfy, you know, that activity. So let's that's keep everything in perspective really. And keep going, you know, keep putting the pressure on the on the officials to make calls, but know that there's obviously a flip side to it. And, you know, you can be on the, the, the good side, you know, more than the bad side. Obviously, the referees are professionals, too, but they are human. And if they come to you and say, look, hey, Brad, I did miss that call, you know, whatever. But you immediately go to your press game and like, hey, these refs told me they're blowing all these calls and it happens to me every night. Like, those guys are going to hear that at a certain point. I just can't imagine that that helps your cause. And I don't know. Yeah, but they, they'll tell you that they missed it just so you can shut up. Shut up. Like, <laughs> that's not always true that they yeah. – I missed it because there's no reward. I mean, they're not right. going to reimburse you for missing it. I mean, they <laughs> could, I, if I tell you that I missed it, it's going to calm you down. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that, then you're not going to continue to talk about that situation. Then we just move on. Yep. Right. I mean, that's the rest play the game as well. That's actually smart. I, I wouldn't have considered it that way, but it makes so much sense. Uh, 
you know, there was one foul call in the Milwaukee game or lack of a foul call. The NBA admitted in their sort of um, two-minute report that they did miss a foul call. Daniel Gafford got fouled by Dante DiVincenzo. It looked like a foul at the time. I think the broadcast crew was like, hey, where's the foul? Uh, you know, if, if you want to be upset about one of those that cost you a game or something like that, like I, I get it, you know, that that would be frustrating in the moment. But it's the, hey, it's six all in the first quarter. <laughs> those are the ones that it's like, all right, that that's what we're still mad about. Uh, Larry, how tough is that as a player? We're like, you know, you got fouled. Everybody knows you got fouled. The refs miss it and you lose a game because of it. And then they admit like, hey, we did blow that one. How's that feel to live through something like that? Well, that that's really tough uh, now with the, you know, with the, I guess the two minute rule or whatever that that is now. We didn't have that. So there was no admitting anything went wrong. So I wasn't on the other side of saying, oh, I knew that that was true. <laughs> and now you guys have just come out and admit it, but we just lost a game. You could use the eyeball test and see clearly after the game that that's a foul and you potentially lost the game because of that. But then there's a factor of, okay, if that happened in the last minute of the game, then you talk about the other 47 minutes of the game. So it's like, it's, it's again, it's by perspective. And I was a guy that if I felt that I got fouled or I felt that there was a situation that was going on, I got a technical and I made sure that, you heard exactly what I was saying. I made sure that I got everything out, you know, under that one technical so I wouldn't have to get another one and get kicked out of the game. Sure. That helps as well. If because refs will allow you to get it off of your chest. They're obviously gonna ring you up. Mm-hmm. But if you feel strongly about something, holding your hands to the sky or putting your head down or not getting back on D, that's not sending a message. That's sending a message to your team that you're upset. So if you really want to make sure that the refs know, especially Brad or Russ that are you know high-level players that have that cachet, you get you a technical and you let them know exactly what's going on, with exactly what you feel is going on. So it's not a one-word technical like these guys are getting. It's actually a barrage sure. of, of words that you give out to just to let the refs know that you're upset, you're not happy, you're going to accept the technical, but at the same time, you know, let's get on the same page as far as to how this game is being officiated. And those guys with cash can can do those things. Yeah. And as a ref, it's like, all right, I maybe I got to pay more attention to it before this gets out of hand. You know, we can't have technicals all night. Whereas like a referee doesn't care if you stand there palms up and don't get back. Like it doesn't hurt them. It, it hurts you and hurts your teammates. So, uh, again, I'm sort of nitpicking here. Brad's obviously really good. And, and, uh, you know, same thing with Westbrook. You know, these, these things are sort of minor qualms, but they're just things, you, uh, you know, as a fan, you want to see cleaned up before we get to that play-in game, at least. Well, and, and there's just levels to it. I mean, there's just levels to it. You expect the group and the team, the guys, to just to level up and be better than what you expect them to be. So making a comment of expectations that you want them to be better so that there's a better – outcome or a better process is, is is fine. I mean, because we all want these guys to be successful, but you know with watching how the game is being coached or how the team is playing or how the plays are being run, when you know you've been around basketball long enough, you know, when you get into the playoffs, you know, it's a different sort of animal. It's a different sort of beast where it's, you know, it's a collection of the season and, and the and the the structure and the processes and the things that we put into place. So it just won't it won't be a switch that you turn on. So as a fan watching each and every game, you want to see some progress. You want to see that it's trending in a direction that you know um, after watching so much playoff basketball that that team can be successful. So, I mean, we can pick and pull at, at certain scenarios and situations, but after watching a bunch of basketball, you know if you go into the playoffs with a splinter unit or a unit that's not on the same page or a staff and a team that's not on the same page, or just players that have a different agenda, then you won't be successful. So as a fan of the team, I mean, you just want to see those things being done in a way that you know can ultimately help them be successful in the, in the playoffs. You know, hopefully these guys are, are veteran enough and professional enough and have been in those situations enough that, you know, like a Russ knows that, hey, it's one game out of 72. If I make that mistake, it doesn't kill us that much in the grand scheme. But you get to a sudden death playoff game, you're in the final four minutes or something. That's when those turnovers or that's when those 
you know, foul calls or, or whatever really start to make a difference. Yeah. And on top of that, Matt, I mean, to have 15 assists and seven turnovers, I mean, that's not, that's not, I mean, quote unquote, it's a triple double, but sure. geez, I mean, you, you, you're in the negative. I mean, you can be in the negative in some of these situations where you're turning the basketball over, but you're still getting, you know, a bunch of assists. So that's something that, you know, as a analyst or whatever, you have to, you know, you have to break down as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, there's a tipping point where like, okay, you're going to get some turnovers because you're such a high usage guy and you are trying to create for others. Like, I'm not sure what the right number is or, or, you know, what for somebody like Russ, what the, what the ratio with the sister turnover ratio you really want is, but yeah, 15 to seven or, or whatever is, is not, uh, is not super productive in, in that Pacers game, which they won 151 or 154 to 141. Westbrook was was honestly ridiculous. He had over 20 assists and only six turnovers. You have or you have 24 assists to six turnovers. Like I I can live with that. Um, you know that that's a that's a much better ratio. And and I wanted to talk to you about that game specifically, Larry. Like normally when I see a game in the 150s or high 140s, I, I do like old man shakes fist at cloud. Like I hate that shit, but that was actually like pretty fun basketball to watch because it was very clean offensively. And especially for the wizards, they set a franchise record for total assists. Nine guys were in double figures. They only did nine three pointers to get to that one fifty four. It was like very clean, like well orchestrated offensive basketball, which they had played some defense too, but uh, it's a little easier to stomach a high scoring game when it's like, Hey, the offense was just clicking and the ball was moving the whole time. Well, I think these guys can play basketball, right? I mean, I think these guys can play basketball in, in the right mindset, the right plan, the, you know, the right system. I think that these guys can, can definitely be successful and to pass the ball and to move the basketball and to, you know, like we said with, with Brad, is to the ability to score points mm-hmm. without completely maximizing the three-point shot, which I think that that hurts your defense in a lot of situations because long shots – equal long rebounds and it puts your pressure on your transition defense basically the entire game for these teams that are shooting a high volume of three pointers. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a positive for the Wizards to understand that, hey man, we could put the basketball in the hole. We can be efficient. You know, our guys can can move the basketball. We can share the basketball and we can win basketball games. So I think and, and also 150, 140, I mean I, that's like the nature of of the NBA now. It's yeah. you know they're trying to score points. Uh, they're obviously using the three ball. Like I said, it's great when teams don't necessarily have to use the three ball to score a bunch of points because they're now more efficient. They're doing things that are closer to the basket, uh, probably being more aggressive going to the basket. Um, so that's one of those games where you love to see an offensive matchup because everything is done in an efficient way. It's not just chucking up a bunch of shots, chucking up a bunch of threes, trying to score points. And, you know, we'd like to see points. I mean, we'd like to see the ball go up, we'd like to see the ball go in especially when you can get a guy that's, you know, assisting on 24 uh, May field goals. That's, that's very impressive. Yeah. And of, of those 154 points, 96 of them were points in the paint, which I, I gotta, I haven't checked recently, but I gotta think the wizards are, are near the top in the league in points in the paint. Um, so I like watching stuff like that. That was cool. I, I try not to get too hung up on the, the overall stat lines and the triple doubles and things like that. But, uh, I, I did think this was kind of interesting of players with games where they had 20 point, or 20 rebounds and 20, uh, 20 assists Westbrook has two and everyone else in NBA history has one. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty wild to, you know, a, a 20 point, 20 rebound game, like, okay, whatever, like that's impressive, but 20 rebounds and 20 assists in a game is, is actually pretty crazy. His, his level, man, his, his intensity level is is greatly unmatched. I mean, I, I don't see anyone playing at that intensity through long stretches of, of games, weeks, seasons as, as Russell. I mean, he is one of those guys where he's going to go down in the record books as one of the best to do it. And he's obviously going to – have a bunch of wins under his belt. We don't know if he's going to win a title or not, but the accumulation of, of the work that he's put in, the triple doubles and the, the things that he's been able to accomplish, I think is going to be something that once he's done, 
uh, his face is going to pop up on a lot of leaderboards and uh, be next to a lot of different descriptions when you talk about the NBA game and the leaders in these special categories, you know, triple doubles, uh, you know, those 20 ga- 2020 games, 2020 20 games. Uh, his, his face is going to pop up in a lot of those scenarios, and I think that that's a great accomplishment. And like he said, he's, he's going out to accomplish those goals, and if he wins a championship, then he wins a championship. Sure. But he's one of those guys you can throw his sneakers up on the, the electrical telephone line uh, when, when he's done for sure. And now a word from one of our sponsors. If you're anything like me, you always lose or break every pair of sunglasses you've ever had. Well, it's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Canaan. Canaan sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Use the exclusive code CANANCAST15 at Canaan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Canaan, clearly better. And now, back to the show. Scott Brooks echoed similar sentiments after that game and said that Russell Westbrook will go down as the second greatest point guard in NBA history behind only Magic Johnson. Russ is really good. I appreciate him in a historical context. Second best point guard of all time is a little crazy to me, though. Um, Larry, as somebody who played against a lot of these guys, uh, how do you feel about that comment particularly? Well, it, it's a different time. It's it, Russ goes about his his business, you know, from the point guard spot differently than or different than the guys when I played. Um, you know, GP. You know, even John Stockman to that. You know, regard or guys that did the point guard spot different. You know, Jason Kidd was again one of those. Just think of Jason Kidd playing in this era of you know the triple double offensive landscape for everybody that can play offense and no defense. Just think of Jason Kidd playing in this era. And I think it's very comparable to what uh, Russ is doing. Uh, I think Jason Kidd would be one of those guys that would do that. So would that put him up, you know, as the second greatest, you know, of all time? So there's a list there. And I think he's definitely going to go on that list. And he's a ball player. um, And I know he's getting triple doubles using the, you know, the assists, obviously, but Russ is a ball player, and I wouldn't necessarily say that he's going to be the the second all-time, you know, greatest point guard. Yeah, like top 10, I'm cool with that. You know, uh, again, like you said, it's 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 kind of a compare style of play. Like you, you've got Steve Nash that's playing when the high scores in the league are in the low hundreds, uh, and he's doing it super efficiently. Does does where the games are 150, does that, does that offset? Uh, so... I guess the question is, do you consider Steph Curry a point guard? Like, Russ might not be the second best point guard playing right now. Uh, I mean, uh, or in his own era. No, I mean, you got guys with with all around game. I mean, you got Dame, you got you got Steph. Uh, Steph has done. I mean, he's done an amazing job with his body and just the uh, you know hearing all the you know the critics on him being able to get his shot off and being you know not finishing around the basket. Uh, he's one of the top guys. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a list of, of of ten guys, man, and you could, you know, any given you know week, you know, move those guys around and rank them a little bit different. But when you start talking about all time, like that, just for a coach to come out and say that for an active player like his player, like it, right. it doesn't hold a lot of weight for me. I mean, it's sure. just something that he uses to stay on Russ's good side because it's like him and Russ are like best buddies or, or, or something. But yeah, all time. I mean, that, that would be hard for me to. That would be hard for me to do. Speaking of of, you mentioned Steph Curry's done a great great job with his body. Uh, you know, obviously Westbrook started a year off pretty slowly. You know, everybody said he's got to be injured. The team slowly let out that he had a quad injury. Uh, Westbrook said the other night that he actually played with a fully torn quad the entire time. It wasn't just a strain. You know, it wasn't just so soft tissue like. He had a torn one, and and this comes shortly after Scott Brooks said, you know, in hindsight, they should have sat him down earlier, you know, for him to fully recover from the quad injury. For an organization that just spent all this time with John Wall, where you let him play through injuries for years before they finally got so bad you had to shut him down for basically two seasons, 
I, it just feels a little irresponsible to said like, well, we knew he had this quad tear, but you know, oh, well, like, I, I'm not sure what the plan is with that. Like you're invested in this guy for multiple years. He's an older player. He came off a quad injury and COVID last season. Now the other quad is torn and we're just going to let him play through that. Like, I, I don't, I don't really get what the point of that is personally, especially when you had guys like Neto that were playing really well. Well, I'll let you in on a, on a little secret. Okay. They want you for what you can do right now. Sure. Yeah. They don't, uh, they don't always care, you know, what the long-term uh, effects will be. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really, what can you do for me right now? Um, and depending on the, the situation or the status of your team, you may get a little leeway as far as to, you know, the ability to to, to sit out. Sure. And that's really the reality of it. And I would assume that he had, you know, a partial tear, which there's a percentage to that, that mm-hmm. he, they probably felt comfortable with whatever that percentage was. Could that get worse? Uh, that's a question. That's, a, that's, that's an insider sort of deal. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my assumption would be that it, it wasn't a complete tear, that it was some sort of a partial deal Agreed. where he could actually go out and play, but they knew he wouldn't be as effective as he needed to be. So you have a decision to make. And I think if you give Russ any input on that decision, he's going to play. And I think that that's really what the case was. But you can see that there was a difference from him, you know, obviously from the start of the season and up until now. So you knew that there was, you know, that there was something going on. And it's just good that he's fought his way through it um, with everything that's going on to to actually get healthy enough during the season and while games are going on to, to, to get back to, to being, you know, more of a competitor that we know Russ is. I would never fault a player th- for trying to play through an injury. Like I, I, I really respect like the, Hey, I, I'm going to do whatever I can. If I can, if I can help the team, I, just from an organizational standpoint, you have an owner that as soon as you trade wall away is tweeting out like, Hey, we just traded for someone super durable. I, I just wonder how much the optics play into, all right, we can't make this durability claim. And then all of a sudden he's not available to start the season. Like, I really hope that those aren't the kind of things that they're making their decisions around, but I'm also enough of a pessimist that it wouldn't surprise me if that factored in at all, like the optics of it. Oh yeah. It it factors in, it it factors in. I mean, to tell the complete story. I mean, I I had a situation in, in uh, Cleveland Mm -hmm. after leaving from Washington and having a few injuries, a hand injuries, uh, but I wanted to show that I wasn't necessarily injury prone. I just was injuring my hands because I'd like to play defense and I use my hands to, you know, to give us an extra possession to get that ball back. So when I got to Cleveland, I, I very early and on in the preseason, I got injured. I, you know, basically just tore my, my right knuckle of my middle finger. I basically tore it up. And I didn't want to say anything because I was just coming from a situation where I was injured and, you know, coming into a new you know, to, into a new organization, I didn't want that perception of me. I didn't want to, to for them to think that, you know, I was, again, an injury-prone guy. So I didn't say anything. And I let it go on for months until my, you know, until my finger was completely shattered and I needed to have reconstructive surgery. So those things, you know, from a player standpoint, like, mm-hmm. like there's an optics out there that you want to make sure that you're viewed in the way that, that you want to be viewed. Like, I felt like I worked extremely hard. I felt like Obviously, injuries are a part of the game, but I didn't want to have that be something that followed me around. So in hindsight, looking back, I should have stopped that next day after I hurt my finger and you know, probably would have had a different process to, to heal up and, and get back out there on the court. But yeah, man, a, a, a player is, he's going to go. Like he, he's going to go. And if you don't pull him back or you don't give him an option that he can come out and be better, whether you, you know, your team is going to win more games Guys are going to play, and they're going to limp up and down. They're going to shoot with one hand. Kobe's going to shoot with his left hand. I mean, guys are going to go. And that's on the team, though. Like You almost have to save them from themselves at a certain point. And there was definitely a point early in the season where I felt like Russ playing injured was, was honestly detrimental to the team. And, and that's why you went out and got Neto to back up-ish and, and to have veteran backups. It's like – so you could survive an injury like that. And when you have someone like Russ, as good as he is, it, it had been a while since he'd played a, like a full season. Um, he came off a year where he was injured in Houston. Like it shouldn't have been 
a surprise to them that there there might be a situation where they'd have to like play without him. And it eventually happened a month later, but how many games did you waste while you're like, oh, well, we'll just let him work through it. Like if your super athletic point guard can no longer dunk, that should be a red flag to everyone on the team. They're like, all right, maybe we got to step in here. That's just the thing. Like as a fan base, you're like, okay, like we talk about this on the show. I'll tell them what's the plan. Well, what's the plan for, for, for somebody like Russ? And I don't know when you're a super max guy, like you need somebody to be like, all right, this impacts our franchise for the next five years. If we, if we handle this poorly. Yeah. But there's still a plan. I mean, there's still, still a plan, whether it's a plan that looked like Kawhi's plan or a plan that's like, you know, today, like Anthony Davis's plan, like there still has to be a plan and and the organization has to stick to it no matter what the player, uh, no matter what the player says. Yeah. I, I, that totally gets you. And, and that, I don't know. It'd be good to be a fly on the wall for for some of those kind of combos too. But either way, uh, they they battled through it, and they are now currently in the tenth seed. So with five games left, they play the Pacers, the Hawks, the Hawks, the Cavaliers, and the Hornets. And they're currently a half game back of, of the Pacers right now. So I'm actually glad that they play them next. Larry, I don't know if you've been following the situation in Indiana much, but it seems like things are imploding there right now. Like they're muting against the coach an assistant coach and a player got into a scrum. TJ Warren has decided, you know, he's going to shut it down for the year anyway. Like, I, I don't know. There, there's like some chaos there. So if there's a team you would want to have to leapfrog, it's Indiana. And then right above them is obviously the Hornets who I, I don't know if they can catch. They probably have to win all six games and have the Hornets lose a couple. Like they're a game and a half back right now. So at the very least, the ninth seed seems achievable, which gets you a home game. What do you think about their prospects down the stretch here? Well, it's looking good for them, you know, to, to make the play-in situation when a few weeks ago that wasn't the case. So I think that they've made strides and steps to put themselves in a position where they can fight for a spot. And with everything that's going on with, you know, with Russ's injury, with, you know, the the – COVID things that they dealt with early on in the season. I mean, it's, it seems like it's been such a long time from that, but, you know, that was, you know, part of their season and part of their start, part of their bad start, you know, to, to the year is dealing with those, those issues with, with COVID. And for them to now, you know, doing the home stretch, give themselves a chance to, to make the playoffs. I would hope that that's where they want to be is giving themselves a fighting chance to make the playoffs and not be in a situation where, you know, behind closed doors, they don't really want to make the playoffs. So I'm on that team. I'm kind of happy that we're in the position that we're in because now we've given ourselves a fighting chance and having two fighters on your team, um, you know, with Brad and and Russ, I think is, you know, is is a good thing to have because I think that those guys are going to go out and fight. The April they had overall was terrific. They went 12 and five. I mean, that's really the month that got them in the position to, to make this playoff run. That 12 and five month is the second most wins the Wizards have had in a month in franchise history. And it's the most uh, since January of 2017. The team actually went 13 and three in February in 1968, 69. So pretty crazy to think about that. That's maybe one of the, the best months of Wizards basketball ever. And, and Scott Brooks was rewarded with uh, the NBA's coach of the month award for April because of the team's record. Again, I think fans feel a certain kind of way about that. It was a little funny that the same day Stephen A. Smith was trashing Scott Brooks on TV for being a bad coach, he gets coach of the month. So, so that's kind of funny. But like, I'm I'm not a big Scott Brooks guy. I think I've made it clear with my comments on this show. But you know, the the team rallied, and and he's probably had a reasonable amount to do with to do with that. I would imagine, and I think it's probably hard to keep a team together after the first two months of the season that they had and, and that they've rebounded the way they have, it's hard to not give him some amount of credit in my opinion. Well, yeah, I, I think the organization did a good job of bringing in some juice, you know, doing the, the trade deadline. And I, I think that that helps. I think that that brings you uh, just some, some other energy. You bring in some guys that, that want to show that, you know, the, the last situation that they were in, it was them, not me. And if the player is good enough, then they can make an impact on your team. And I think that that has been the case. And I think that that was an important pickup. Somebody that can catch a lot 
is going to protect the basket. So these pieces that they brought in uh, factored into their winning streak in, in April. And to play 17 games in April, that's a lot of games, especially in a regular season when you think your April games are, you know, eight, nine, you know what I mean? You're, you're getting ready for, for playoff basketball playing eight or nine games versus, you know, 17 games. So that is a, you know, I didn't really think, you know, look at that or think about that till you said that stat of going 12 and five, but that is, that'll keep your, you know, your history intact, or that'll give you some history to, to put on the board. When you have an ability to play 17 games, you can put that on the board to say, Hey, you know, we won 12 games in April and that'll probably never happen again because you probably won't play that many games in April if the season goes back to, you know, to the regular schedule program. But yeah, man, for these guys to be in a position to fight all of April, to know that they had a decent team, to know that they had good players on a team, that their record wasn't a reflection of who they were. Uh, it was pretty much the different circumstances that they were running into, whether it be COVID, whether it be no practice, uh, whether that be Thomas Bryant going down early on with injury. Uh, I think that they sh- should be not cool or you know, not feel great about themselves, but feel like that they fought themselves out of the bag that they were in and gives themselves an opportunity to, you know, be under the lights and play in the playoffs. As a player, how much, how much sort of like a, a positive energy does it provide um, when, when your coach you're struggling and he is consistent that, Hey, we are a good team. Like we are better than this. We will be better than this. Like, at no point in the season has Scott Brooks changed his tune from like, Hey, we are better than our record shows. Does that really, is that meaningful to players? I guess. Well, if, if you all believe it, right. If that's the process that you're taking, you know, day in and day out is that we're going to work and we're working just as hard, you know, yesterday as we did the day before, even though we didn't get those results in the game that we wanted. So if we continue to work and we're continuing to, you know, to chop that wood and we'll continue to come to work and be on time uh, every day and be professional. Yes, I think that that is very true that you need that consistent reinforcement, you know, from your culture, from leadership, knowing that, hey, you know, the days that we're stacking on each other, the consistent days that we're stacking on each other is going to make us a better team, you know, later on in the season. If that's the approach, then I say, yes, that that is the the best way to do it. But again, the players and also the coaches and, and the organization is putting in that work day in and day out, you know, and really living with those results. And some of those results early on was losing games. But were they coming back the next day and working just as hard is a, a sign of a team that really believes that they're a victim of the circumstances and not, you know, that's who they are. Yeah. And I try to be objective. Like, I, I want to be fair. Like, I don't love some of the substitutions, but you know, like, let, let's give the guy a little credit that that's not the easiest situation for a coach to be in, even if some of it maybe was self-inflicted. But uh, so him getting a coach of the month, I get, uh, you know, I saw a couple of tweets. It's like, hey, will Scott Brooks get votes for coach of the year? Um, I, I think that's a little crazy to me. You're still the ninth or 10th seed. Uh, Justin Kutcher tweeted out that it's time for uh, Tommy Shepard to get some love in the NBA executive of the year. Uh, conversation uh, like I'm not ready to go that far like you're you're still barely sneaking in, in most years you're not a playoff team like why are we like why are we flexing uh, on the internet o- over the nine seed yes slow down champ <laughs> <laughs> slow down I mean you know you, you we're teetering right I mean we're trying to figure this thing out I don't think any sort of national awards is anything that should be on anybody's radar yeah. uh, you know other than uh, you know an NBA championship because I think that all of these things, again, we're trying to stack consecutive positive things on top of each other. And that sort of thought process of, you know, coach of the year, coach of the month, I, I don't really think factors into what's needed to be successful, right? I, I, you know, if we're going to get coach of the month, then we're really shining a light on our players. Yeah. So it's not, thank you, I appreciate this award. It's like, you know, thank you to the players for sticking with it you know, coming up big, you know, staying together. I mean, so we're refocusing our energy on not talking about, you know, the coach or, or Tommy Shepard is we're really talking about the players because when things aren't going bad, we talk about the players. So when they're going good, you know, I think that we should talk about the players and not about, you know, those other things that, 
you know, that are highlighted. If, they, if these guys win a first-round playoff series against a top-three-seeded team, I will write all the articles. I will spend our next five podcasts, you know, hey, let, let's give these guys some national love here um, until we're, you know, we're making a legitimate playoff run. Like, I, I just – that shit's crazy to me. I don't know. Well, I guess I guess we'll see if that's realistic or not. Larry, if if you're the Wizards, who of those sort of top three teams in the East would you sort of most want to end up matched up with? You've got the Sixers, Nets, or Bucks. Does one of those three teams? Uh, well, I guess they couldn't technically end up with the Nets if they end up whoever ends up in the second seed. But whoever the top two seeds are, is there one of those teams that you'd most like to see if you're Washington? I'd say the Nets, you know, I say the Nets, even though that they're, the, you know, front runners and even, you know, they obviously have a roster that's very, very attractive. They don't necessarily have the continuity that these other teams have that are on the top of the leaderboard. So you're going to give yourself a shot against those guys that are still trying to figure it out on how they're going to play and what their situations and how they're going to scheme things uh, when you do get into the playoffs. I would would much rather play a team that hasn't spent a lot of time together than a team that spent a lot of time together, especially in the NBA playoffs. I think that that's where your, you know, your Philadelphia, you know, that's where your Milwaukee, um, you know, I think that that's where their strength comes in is their ability to have continuity and know that they've they've been in battles together and they know somewhat to what to expect. Uh, with the Nets, I mean, hey. Those guys have all been great, you know, in their own right. And to put them in a situation where there's a little bit of pressure, uh, whether they're down a game or something of that scenario, you kind of have to figure out or just see how those guys react. So I would just want to be in that space versus someone that know exactly what their counter move is. I mean, they know Philly's going to know exactly what they're going to do if this happens. Milwaukee's going to know exactly what to do if this happens. I think Brooklyn is is a is in a position where they're still trying to figure that out. So I picked that matchup. I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, obviously you have a first year head coach and Steve Nash. Maybe that complicates things a little bit in terms of making adjustments. The, the team's been really heavily reliant on on James Harden when he plays and plays well. The team does well, and and the opposite's true when he doesn't play well. And Harden maybe hasn't had the best postseason track record, so maybe that factors in. But they're also the worst defensive team of the three. So if I'm the Wizards, like, if I'm not going to guard anybody either, it's like, all right, who can I most get into a shootout with it and maybe outduel a couple times? So, uh, and selfishly, I just think it would be kind of fun to have a Russ KD playoff matchup too. So um, <laughs> that's got to factor in a little bit. Uh, all right, last random one, and I want to get you out of here real quick, Larry. Um, Jerry West said uh, in the last week or two that uh, guys are too friendly these days and he doesn't understand why they would want he would want to shake hands with an opponent before games. And he compared, you know, basketball to going to war, which felt a little extreme, but you know, he, he basically missed the days when, when people or when players weren't like best friends with each other. Um, That sort of seemed to start to change around sort of your era where guys got a little friendlier as someone who's, maybe been on both sides of this. Are guys too friendly now? I'd say that, that they're too friendly because, you know, all the things that go into it, you know, with the social media, um, a number of these guys are assigned to the same, you know, management agency. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these guys, I mean, the, the, the market is so wide now they have the same shoe deals or, the, or sign under the same shoe brand. Uh, and, and I think the NBA really pushes that, you know, friendliness more than they did obviously before I played and then during the time when, when I was playing. And I wasn't a, a, a shake hands guy with everybody on the team. I mean, I had one or two guys maybe on the team that, that I was cool with or, but I didn't shake hands. I didn't want to do that. I mean, I didn't, but I didn't know these guys off the court, right? I didn't know there wasn't an Instagram where you can go and see what this guy's into or, Hey, we have the same interest. So, Hey, we, you know, we're connected this way or that way, or, you know, there's just a lot of different ways where these guys are now connected and it shows up on the basketball court. I mean, they get a chance to to see each other live, you know, on the basketball court when essentially they've been connecting on social media and they have, you know, the same art interest. So they want to talk about that. But from a basketball standpoint, I, th- I still think it's competitive. I still think guys go out and, and they compete. 
I think the rules are are geared towards less confrontation. Mm. You know, when you talk about you know how quickly the texts come, um, you know, like fouls or about, anything. Yeah, those things. I mean, it has made it a different game where you know, right? If somebody comes to smack you across the head during the game, you know, you're not gonna you know go and dap those guys up. You know, after the game, it's just. But they don't allow that now. So nobody's really getting smacked across the head. Everybody is, you know, maybe get a little scratch. So that's that's cool. We can we can deal with that. But it is a, a fact of when you are on a team and you are going and battle or war may not be the right word, but it's a word that describes you giving your all. Like you laying it all on the line for something that you believe in, a spot that you want to hold. Um, you know, territory that you want to protect. I mean, so it, it, it aligns itself because we want to go out and battle. I mean, we, you know, we want to go out and compete at the highest level. So I don't, I don't like to use that word because of all the things that go along with that. But if you use it in totality and understand, you know, from a basketball standpoint, what that really means, I hope I've, you know, kind of described, you know, what that word really means to a basketball player. And when that basketball player uses that word, it's really what we're trying to stand on and what we're trying to protect. But they don't allow us to do that anymore, right? They, they don't allow us, to, the, the, the rules don't allow us to, to be that battle-tested uh, group anymore. So it is a much more friendly game. Uh, everybody is happy that, you know, everybody came out unscathed and, you know, do all of those things at the end of the game. I think when you have so much player movement too and like, half these guys have all been teammates at some point because everyone moves around so much uh, that, that probably factors in and the more one year deals guys have, but I don't know, just as a fan, like I, I think basketball is more fun when you're like, all right, shit, I know these guys don't like each other. I know Embiid and Carl Towns, like they're not buddies or, uh, you know, I'm going to mention a bunch of guys, but it's Embiid and people, but Embiid and Gobert, like things like that are, like, I don't know, get you a little more hyped up for a matchup, I think, when you're like, all right, there, there might be a couple extra elbows tonight or something. Yeah, no, it's just good to like to survey the fans because I think that, you know, the, the rules committee, they, they do things because of, you know, what the fans want to see and how fans react. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a consistency around, you know, just um, fans want to see guys go at it. And obviously yeah. between the lines, they want to see, you know, those sort of confrontations. They want to see that. and you know, I don't think that the rules allow us to to get into those sort of um, good battles that the fans really want to see. I mean, on occasion, you can get it and you'll see a bunch of chime in, a bunch of comments, a bunch of commentary about, you know, hey, we love this, but we just don't allow enough of it, you know, to have fun with it. I mean, even like those Cavaliers Warriors series, like you could tell LeBron and Seth Curry are not going on vacation together over the summer. Like, you know, they're not going to guard each other directly that much. And, and there's not a whole lot of like physicality between the two of them. But like, it's clear that these dudes are like, uh, you know, they're, they're not best friends. So like even just a little bit more of that vibe, uh, I think would be cool. All right. Uh, just to, to close this out here, Larry, what are the, what's the thing you most want to see from the Wizards over these last five games? Um, I mean, I, I think just being consistent through the four quarters. I think having a process and a strategy through the game uh, to allow everyone to be as effective as they can be, which I think in turn helps them be better late in the game. Uh, when you make Bertans a threat, when you make Hachi a threat, uh, when you make these guys a threat, Gafford at the basket, uh, Russ getting downhill, I think just making sure that all the components are working together and doing exactly what they're supposed to do, and that's players just maximizing their roles but not only maximizing their roles, it's just getting the opportunity to, to participate in, in maximizing their role. If you have a shooter out there on the court, then you know that that guy should be getting some shots. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a defender out on the court, uh, you know that that guy should be switching onto the right matchups and not just be a help defender. Uh, so these are things that's just being consistent with allowing people to maximize their roles. And, and hopefully that gets them, you know, to the position where they can make it to the playoffs and if you go these last five games with everybody maximizing their role, feeling good about themselves, you get into the play-in situation in the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. And I think that that's what it's going to take for the team to be successful is for each and every guy to feel uh, needed, 
uh, in their role needed to maximize their role and see what happens at the end of the day. So just really being consistent um, and, and maximizing each and every role that they have out there in the court. Yeah, I'd love to see them finish strong, get some momentum, and not just like, okay, we're we're now locked into the playoff game. It doesn't matter if we lose these last two. Like, I'd love to see them going, you know, with a full head of steam, uh, you know, into the play and hopefully into the first round. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have that to break down for you, hopefully, uh, by our next show here. So everybody rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we will catch you next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.